Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm looking up at uh, the TV groundbreaking obesity drug. Well, give me some information on that. FDA approves new treatment for chronic obesity. How fat you got to be? I don't know. I'm not huge, but I'm fatter than I ought to be. Man, I was playing golf the other day. Threw on this golf shirt. Not too tight. Grab that one. That's a little tight. Oh, boy. And they fit before? Well, yeah. When I bought them, they did. Hmm. But they're just uh, just a little too tight. Maybe they spend too much time in the dryer. Yeah. Judy, hey, cut it out. Get that thing out of the dryer. Two things that happened. I saw two headlines over the weekend I thought were interesting. Opposite ends of the country. On the left coast, more than two dozen Antifa rioters charged for Portland mayhem. No, no, no. Antifa doesn't exist. It's just a philosophy. Signaling an escalation by both local and federal prosecutors following a full year of riots. It seems like in Portland, they are fed up with the whole Antifa, this never-ending riot situation, and they're finally going to start really prosecuting people. Hallelujah. So that's on the left coast. On the right coast, and I'd been reading about this for a couple of weeks, Washington Square Park, the historic Greenwich Village space with the fountain and where Bob Dylan would sit sit with Joan Baez and sing songs and whatnot. There have been hippies smoking pot there forever, but now it's hardcore drug users who just camp in the park and make lots of noise and it's dangerous to be around there, and locals were starting to complain about it, and it's some expensive real estate there in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And uh, the police went in in riot gear to enforce their new curfew to try to get them out of there. The curfew was basically an excuse to clear it out. And uh, 10 o'clock curfew, people didn't leave. They came in with riot gear, gear pushing and shoving, beating people on heads, etc. Wow. But both ends, where you got lefty, lefty. I mean, Washington Square Park is hippie central, man. And the locals there had said, you got to get these, these drug addicts out of our park. And then in Portland, hippie, hippie Portland saying, all right, right this is enough. Well, I was reading a great deal over the weekend. The L.A. Times is on the the situation, Venice Beach, and in various parts of L.A., but Venice Beach has kind of moved to the fore because it's such a prominent tourist area and kind of hipster area that it has become unlivable there. People are miserable because of all the junkies that have moved in. And even the the most soft-headed lefties among them are starting to realize Wait a minute, this is not somebody who had one medical bill too many or rent is too high. These are just junkies, and they're ruining the city. So the awareness is coming slowly, but I think it's coming. Coming up, how much money is enough? The latest thinking on that. How much do you need to be happy? Anything beyond that, you're wasting your time. Really? Huh, okay. Uh, trio of stories from the border region, the lawless border region, and it actually is damn near lawless. This one has nothing to do with immigration. I just found it uh, interesting in a couple of different ways. A Texas woman was arrested after spending an entire day at her daughter's middle school posing as her 13-year-old daughter. Now, for the bizarro reasons that sometimes occur, the teachers are, like, not there, and they're on a computer, even though the kids are there, and whatever, even in Texas. But So she was trying to illustrate how lax everything is at school. Security, teaching, connection between the teachers and the kids. And so she went to school in a yellow hoodie, glasses, and, uh, and her face well, mask. mask on. Right, right. Um, and documented a lot of it on social media. And so uh, she answered questions from teachers, turned in assignments via the, the computer, ate school in the school cafeteria, went all day long, and nobody had any idea. Some of the kids figured it out, but said, no, we'll keep quiet. Um, made it through all seven periods. 
until the last teacher asked her to stay after class <laughs> and said, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> you're not a kid. But that is a little bit disturbing. Of course, she was arrested because, as often happens, and I don't, you know, I, I'd have to think about it for a while. Um, yeah, it's probably worth the sacrifice to get arrested. It's just funny that she exposed major flaws in what the school is doing, and she's the one who gets arrested. But I get it. It was a protest, and she's going to pay the price for it. I respect that. Uh, more to the topic of immigration, a couple of stories worth your attention. Number one, it has become clear that the Mexican cartels are now using armed drones to attack each other and uh, and indeed our guys. They have some reasonably sophisticated drones. I mean, they're the kind you can get at Target, you know, a few hundred bucks. But you they have tar- drones at Target that have guns on them? Well, no, 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 you can get the drones, but then they use the drones to carry bombs and incendiary devices. They just drone them over and then drop a bomb on people. And they're killing and maiming each other with this, but they're starting to use it across the border, too, to distract and harass our guys who are trying to limit the uh, rampant illegal immigration. Uh, So that's nasty, and nobody's died yet. No Americans have died yet, but boy, when that happens, why wait for it to happen, though? We need to figure, I hope protocols are being formed right now. Blast them out of the air. You see a drone you can't identify? If it's the 12-year-old who lives in the neighborhood, maybe we'll, we'll go ahead and, and pay for that drone we blasted out of the air. But you got to do it. And then this, y- you almost have to admire this guy. Javier Ernesto Ayala Osuna, who is a foot guide for groups of illegal immigrants. He is a coyote. He's the... Uh, He's like the last uh, the last guy in the chain. He walks them 16 hours across the border deep into the US and then turns them loose. Okay? That's his gig. How does he get back home? Walk 16 hours? No. He turns himself in to border patrol and the policy with a, a, a single male Mexican without a family is not arrest or detention or anything. It's immediate uh, exportation, or, uh, you know, what am I trying to say? Deportation? Deportation, yeah. Uh, we're not sending him to France for, you know, in, in return for wine. No, it's a immediate deportation. So this guy, he's done it half a dozen times. He turns himself wow. in and gets a, we get the American taxpayer gives him a ride back Probably to Mexico. A few bottles of water, maybe a snack if he's hungry. Yeah, exactly. He's pulled the trick at least six times over the last month. Said Tom Todd Benzman, senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, who we've talked to many times, quote, I must credit the smuggler for his ingenuity in exploiting the highly naive American system of limitless, no consequence turnbacks. You gotta tip your cap to the guy. When we come back, we'll hit you with a little of the details on the new obesity drug. Is it something that uh, you could want to use? Also, how much money do you need to make to be uh, happy? How much money is enough? I remember the last big anti-obesity drug had some highly unfortunate side effects. Like everything I mean, you ate. suddenly and without warning, you could fill your pants. Everything you ate went through like a greased slide. <laughs> exactly. We, with no con- sick and you had no control over it whatsoever. <sighs> That's no good. <laughs> Agreed. I like this. Um, I'm not a big, the big lie, big steel guy, but um, 
the uh, the meme was Bigfoot flipping you off while riding the Loch Ness monster is still more believable than Joe Biden winning the 2020 election, and it's got a good picture of that famous Bigfoot picture where he's kind of running through the woods. Except yeah. he's flipping you off while riding the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> That's funny. That's some good memeing. <laughs> that is some good memeing right there. Don't think it means anything, but it's amusing. It's a good topic on a Monday. Maybe you've already got enough, and you don't you don't want to go to work today. Maybe you've already got enough. You don't need to go to work. What is enough? Among other things coming up. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Well, certainly the the great rival now is uh, China, and uh, but it's different than the Cold War because uh, during the Cold War, our great rival, the Soviet Union, was a military giant, but it was frankly a technological midget and uh, economically completely isolated from the international economy. Uh, China is very different. It is a technological uh, giant. It is increasingly uh, seeking military capabilities that look as if they are trying to change the balance in the Asia-Pacific. So it's a different kind of challenge, but it's one that I think can be met. Condoleezza Rice, former Secretary of State, uh, saying China ain't the Soviet Union. It's significantly a bigger deal. I hope we all wake up to that at some point. Yeah, I, th- I think we are. Whether that's going to be enough uh, remains to be seen. The FDA has approved a new obesity drug that helped people drop weight by about 15%. Let me do some quick math. Participants lost weight steadily for 16 oh, months before that'd plateauing. Be great. 15% so for me, that'd Heck be about, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That'd be, yeah. For, for listeners who don't know, I'm 475 pounds. So that's a fair amount of weight. He I'm not. I'm really not. He's 575 pounds. <laughs> it's uh, Wegovy is the name of the drug, and um, the FDA just approved it. So maybe you'll hear about it or ask ask your doctor about Wegovy. The problem was the old one was Wego Poo. If you ate the wrong thing, it's sudden un- and uncontrollable bowel movements. Now that's a side effect. I got to think that at some point science is going to come up with a drug that handles our lifestyles obviously it would be better if we all exercised more and ate better but let's live in the real world where we aren't doing that and some sort of drug that i don't know just just doesn't make that stuff stick you eat that crap that does no good to your body and it just goes through you here's where i ruin everything joe's gonna ruin everything this is a little feature called joe ruins everything play the theme music michael welcome to joe ruins everything Two, but, three, four. But up, 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 up. Woo! Come on. What do we have to tip you? What's going on in there? What are you doing in there? <laughs> I was having a computer issue. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, uh, here's why I ruin everything. Remember 
that insanely frustrating reality of human biology that once you get to a certain weight, your animal brain says that's the weight you should be. And if you cheat yourself, what's cheat? If you uh, don't take in enough calories, if you lose weight, your brain is desperate to get back to that weight and will slow your metabolism and the rest of it. So if, if science really wants to do me a favor, that's what they, they would address fix. that. Yeah, that's the thing that needs to be fixed is the set point for your weight. My doctor first mentioned this to me years ago before I ever read about it in the popular press, that your brain gets a, a set weight and then that's that's what you're going to be. Because for 99.9% of the existence of Homo sapiens... Nobody ever got fat. It was impossible. So your body, it just has, it has like a one-way alarm. Losing weight, losing weight. We have a problem. We have a famine here. It doesn't matter if you started at 275 pounds. Right. The alarm's not that sophisticated. Uh, another problem. How much money is enough? Maybe you're thinking about that as you drive to work on a Monday. Hey, my stinking job. My boss, I'd like to see him from a fire ants and put a bell in my hair. <laughs> what now? Wow. How much money is enough? A simple thought experiment to give you the exact number you need to aim for. We've talked about this many times over the years. Of course, you might be a new listener, so you haven't heard us talk about it. Is that the key is to not compare yourself with others. Because um, there are all kinds of studies that show if people next to you have nicer stuff, you feel like you need more. If you have nicer stuff than the people next to you, you feel satisfied. Whether in scenario A, your stuff was actually nicer than in scenario B. Positive Sean, the king of the aphorism, with uh, one of his favorite sayings. Comparison is the thief of joy. That is so good. So the real answer to figure out if you've got enough is to take a hard look at your own financial realities and come up with a goal number and keep that in mind. Uh, We've also talked about this over the years. It's usually around $75,000 a year. You know, it depends on where you live. Adjust it higher or lower for wherever you live. That up to that point, money does make you happier. It makes your life better. gives you higher life satisfaction. But above that number, it it really starts to go the other direction because you're spending time working to get more money. That isn't going to make you any happier. Hmm. Um, And again, you have to adjust it for where you live. There are places where that's way ton of money. There are places where that's nothing. So. Yeah. But one way to calculate the point is to figure out how much money you'd need to make decisions based entirely on enjoyment and impact without pressure to earn. This is the goal of uh, the FIRE movement. Financial independence, retire early. It's boost- oh, yeah, I've read a fair amount about it's this. Its boosters generally say that 25 times your expected annual expenses is enough. So if you can live on $50,000 a year comfortably, you need to save... 25 times that, $1.25 million, and then you'll be okay to be able to pull that off. So, again, you have to adjust that number up or down based on um, where you live or, you know, it could be your whatever you need, although they have a term in here that I really like, um, lifestyle inflation. It's really easy to fall for lifestyle inflation. Things you are perfectly happy with. At 35, perfectly happy with this kind of car, this kind of restaurant, this kind of house. At 55, you need much better. Well, okay, you know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you, well, might, you were happy with it before. So, With all due respect to these hippies and their idiotic notions, I spend $50,000 on wine and cheese every year. <laughs> how, how look how we? happy I am. <laughs> but perhaps the best way to get a feeling for your goal number is a simple thought experiment. Suppose you're one of five people. 
Okay. Who've been selected by a mysterious philanthropist to participate in a contest. What is going on with this mysterious philanthropist? The five of you <laughs> Why all... Why has he chosen us? The five of you all have comparable debt levels and costs of living, as well as similar middle-class financial situations. You're all roughly the same age, equally healthy, have the same number of children, and you all live moderately low-risk lifestyles. Now, do we start dying one by one like it's an Agatha Christie mo- novel? or The key is to sneak up on one of the other ones behind them with a <laughs> knife in your teeth. Oh, so I did it. Wow. <laughs> no. Privately and one by one, a representative of the donor approaches each of you with a blank check and a pen and poses the following question. How much money would you have to be paid right here, right now, to retire today and never receive another dollar of income for the rest of your life? The catch is that whoever among the five players writes the lowest amount on the check will be paid that sum. The other four players will get nothing. So it gives you a great incentive to come up with the lowest number you possibly can that you think you could retire on without needing another dollar. It's like the prisoner's dilemma, but totally different. It's like the trolley car, only way different. <laughs> only completely dissimilar. Wow. Well, it depends what it's... age you are, obviously. If you went to a 23-year-old and asked him that question, and a 70-year-old, that's kind of unfair. It's like the marshmallow experiment with first graders, except not at all. <laughs> well, that's right. We're all the same in this scenario. Yes. This mysterious philanthropist. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a, it's a decent point to, uh, you know, and one, one advantage of this might be the earlier you figure out this number, you, you might curb some of that lifestyle inflation a little. Yes. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I don't think it's a simple one, uh, and, and I'd like to discuss it a little more. I mean, like, since I was a little kid, I was a golf freak. I just love the game of golf. So I'm going to have a more expensive lifestyle lifestyle than somebody whose favorite like thing me, to do I'm, is fishing. Yeah, I'm never going to play golf, so I have no need I, for golf expenditures. I ruined the game. I write down a dollar on the check. I've watched too much of The Price is Right. Nah, you win. <laughs> Cheater. But, uh... Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This week, Russian hackers hit JBS, one of the biggest meatpacking, meat selling, whatever, in America. They Like a lot of the meat didn't get... I tell you something, Russians. <laughs> Go after our elections, our nuclear plants, our electric grid. Don't with the meat. This America. People will go nuts. We do like our meat in this country. He's a vegetarian, too. Willing to make that joke. People want the beef. Before Joe gets into his stuff, somebody please look up Edgerton Ryerson. Can you look up Edgerton Ryerson for me, Sean? It will it'll fit in with something I'm going to talk about coming up. Edgerton being E-G-E-R-T-O-N. Ryerson, R-Y. There you go. I'm intrigued. I don't know if that's a pharmaceutical company, a psychological principle. Or it's a new cryptocurrency. Great, it's, it's, it's a great <laughs> boxing match in 1840. It's a cancel culture thing, but I don't even know who the person is. Stay tuned. Learn something very important about myself. Oh, big scandal in baseball we need to talk about. But uh, learned uh, something for sure uh, yesterday. What is my go-to totally unconscious swear word when I get hurt? <laughs> Everybody has theirs. I'm an SOB and, guy, I think. 
Really? That's that's a fine one. So I was uh, I was dealing with some cardboard boxes yesterday. I was uh, rearranging some stuff, moving, uh, unpacking this, and blah blah blah. And uh, I gave myself one of those cardboard uh, paper cuts that, as I could feel it going I in and slicing, I don't want to hear this. I looked down to make sure the tip of my finger hadn't fallen off. <laughs> We got a bleeder. Oh, that's awful. (laughs) So anyway, and uh, as it turns out, my oath of choice is a a compound term that rhymes with other trucker. Popularized by, uh, what's his name in uh, Pulp Fiction? (laughs) In many of his roles. Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson's favorite term. Had no idea. And I uttered it at such a volume and pitch that my wife came running to make sure I hadn't been killed. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, the good news about fingers is, though, they get a lot of blood flow, uh, and so it takes a while to stop. They they heal really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Remember when I smashed the bejesus out of my finger in the garage door? I I thought I'd done permanent serious damage to myself. I was amazed how well it healed. Yeah, yeah, the amazing human body. Oh, which reminds me, uh, they, they have just approved the first drug that slows the progress of Alzheimer's disease. Ooh. I yeah. Mean, that's big. Yeah. I just saw the headline come across in the Wall Street Journal, but yeah, that could be, that could be a wonderful thing in the face of just a, a disease of unspeakable sadness and tragedy and the rest of it. So I'm a big baseball fan. I love the baseball. And, uh, I had been unaware of this giant scandal. This should be the biggest scandal in sports, writes Sports Illustrated. To understand the fiasco of baseball's 2021 season, which people around the game describe as sullied by rampant cheating to a degree not seen since the steroid era, to, to, to understand it, all you have to do is pick up a ball and then try to put it back down. Pitchers are applying sticky stuff to the balls. In, so it's so rampant. They estimate that like something like eighty to ninety percent of the pitches thrown, eighty nine, eighty to ninety percent of pitchers are using it in some capacity. Said one uh, baseball player. Do an image search on sticky stuff on the balls. See if you can find anything that would uh... image search. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, allergies. Uh, one ball made its way into uh, an NL. Coming up there, maybe if I do comma baseball. Uh, one ball made its way into a National League dugout last week. Players took turns touching a palm to the sticky material coating it and lifting the baseball, adhering to their hand into the air without gripping it, just a flat hand lifting the ball up. So, what's the advantage of sticky stuff on the ball? We'll get to that. In another one, corralled in a different dugout, had clear enough fingerprints indented in the goo that opponents could mimic the teacher's, the uh, pitcher's grip. A third one was so sticky that when an opponent tried to pull the glue off, three inches of seams came off with it. What? Yeah. Uh, the sticky stuff helps increase spin on pitches, which in turn increase their movement, making them more difficult to hit. Major League pitchers, well, Major League Baseball, uses nothing but brand new baseballs. I mean, they're rubbed up with this special stuff that takes some of the shine off of them and everything. But it's not like in Little League where a ball would get beaten up and a little tattered, a little softened. They're all slippery. Um, and, I've, you know, partly because I know a guy in Major League Baseball, I have plenty. In, in fact, I have one in the studio somewhere. Um, uh, uh, Major League Baseball, they're slippery. And to get the max spin on it, you just have to get your fingers a little sticky. And that's contributed to 
Um, oh, and so they can make the the pitches break more, increasing their movement, makes them harder to hit. That's contributed to an offensive crisis that's seen the league-wide batting average plummet to a historically low 236. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. It would really help if they gave, like, two years ago's batting average, which I don't know. Historically low batting average. I did not know that. Yep. Sports Illustrated spoke with more than two dozen people. Most of them requested anonymity to discuss cheating within their own organization. From the dugout, players and coaches shake their heads as they listen to pitchers' deliveries. You can hear the friction of the ball spinning in the air. The recently retired pitcher, a recently retired pitcher, likens it to the sound of ripping off a Band-Aid. Is that the ball coming off their hand? So looking like a couple years ago, the league averages were in the around 250. And now they're down 236. That's significant. Uh, yeah, in fact, a Major League team executive says his players have examined foul balls and found the Major League Baseball logo torn straight off the leather. Wow. By the stick on pitchers' hands. So in many clubhouses across the sport, the training rooms become the scene of the crime. Pitchers head in there before games to swipe tongue depressors, which they use to apply their sticky stuff to wherever they choose to hide it. Then return afterward to grab rubbing alcohol to dissolve the residue. So they just uh, they swab their fingers, back their hands or elbow, whatever, and just uh, scratch at it a little bit. And that's something. Putting junk on the balls is old as time, but uses using stickum to increase uh, spin is pretty novel. One a uh, American League reliever who says he uses a mixture of sunscreen and rosin. Uh, blah blah blah. Huh. Interesting. Huge scandal. What to do? What to do? Check their balls. <laughs> <clears throat> Again, boy, allergies this time of year are terrible. I'm not laughing at your idiocy, I assure you. So, Sean, did you look up Edgerton Ryerson? Who is this person? Uh, he is uh, Adolphus Edgerton Ryerson, was a Canadian educator and Methodist minister who was prom- a prominent contributor to the design of the Canadian public school system. I wonder what he did wrong. A statue of Edgerton Ryerson on the university campus named after him. Ryerson University. I mean, this is an, an, an entire university in the most gleaming city of Canada, Toronto. A statue of Edgerton Ryerson on the university campus was toppled. Protesters took it to the Toronto Harbor, where it was thrown in. Ryerson University, again, it's right there in the name of the university. Wow. It's what the guy, the, the, the university is named after the guy, released a statement saying the statue will not be restored or replaced. <laughs> Jonathan Kay tweeted this out with a comment saying, wow, outsourcing decisions to a mob is a real time saver. Maybe we can use this method to get rid of trials. Wow. So what the, a great blast. No kidding. So a mob decides, no, this university named for this guy is the, that's not okay with us. And you, Take down the statue, throw it in the river, and the university named after the guy says, we won't replace the statue. Obviously, they're coming for the name of the university next, and I would Mm -hmm. assume they're going to cave on that, too. Now, I don't know what this guy did. I don't know if he was a colonial, if he was into colonialism, or he uh, had slaves, or I don't know what he did. It was anti-gay marriage 150 years ago. I have no idea what he did, but oh, you know what he did? Uh, Let's see. A man who helped create a school system which forcibly assimilated indigenous people. Forcing forcing the the Indians to be into the school. Which abducted more than 150,000 indigenous children who are not allowed to speak their language. 
Yeah, and it got worse than that. I was just uh, reading about this. There was a program in Canada that, all right, the indigenous people need to come correct and learn to be real Canadians. So they took them from their homes, put them into these schools, and one of the schools, they just unearthed dozens and dozens of bodies Ooh, that's of children who died at this school. Actually sounds like what they're, exactly like what they're doing to the Uyghurs in China. Yeah, very um, similar. Okay, so that's fine. It sounds like he was a bad guy. Then you have a system where somebody petitions for this, and then you have some sort of vote or body that looks into it. You don't have a mob go get the statue and throw it in the river. No, if a mob gets angry enough, they get anything they want in the new, exciting 21st century reality. Florida removed eight, nine Confederate uh, names from schools last month after a month of discussing it. Kept some, got rid of most. Hmm. Uh, but I like that After process. discussions, you said. Yeah, I don't have any problem with that. You decide for a month that, that that's what you want to do. Now, you know, not everybody's going to agree because they decided for a month in San Francisco and after a tremendous amount of public pressure had to decide to keep Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, for instance. Yeah, well, not every discussion is equal in terms of heap loads of stupid. But that's, that's you know, well, the discussion ended up in the right place then. If a mob had gone and defaced the school, and, uh, you know, changed the name and thrown the statue and blah, blah, blah. That That's not good. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Abraham Lincoln, not a Blinken, Anthony Blinken, who is on uh, TV or is testifying before Congress today about a number of situations around the world. He's our current Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham Lincoln, the bearded man on your penny. Yes. New book out about his uh, marriage. Specifically about his awful, awful, maybe the worst marriage in the history of U.S. presidents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, tough choice, Mary Todd there. Mm, lovely gal. Nice family. Ooh, probably not. Probably shouldn't have gone there, Abe. <laughs> uh, new book out. I'll get some of the highlights from there. Kind of interesting. Among other things we can talk about. Oh, yeah, we got to get back into uh, Wall Street Journal today. Opinion piece from two highly respected doctors saying... It's right there in the virus. If you look at the virus and the way it's made up, the proof is in the pudding. This was created by people in a lab. Hmm. It's just the proof and is certainly right there. enhanced. Right, exactly. Uh, so all that stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Joe and I are at the science desk. We have to move our microphones around to whatever desk. Sometimes we're at the sports desk. Now we're over at the science desk. We're sitting on opposite sides of the science desk, trying desperately not to play footsie. Uh, I, this just came across, so I haven't gotten deep into it. The FDA has approved a new, uh, Alzheimer's drug, as Joe mentioned a little bit ago. Controversial Alzheimer's drug? Why is it controversial? Cause I just, I just got into the story. The drug will be marketed as the first ever that U.S. regulators say can treat the underlying disease and its memory robbing effects rather than just symptoms like anxiety and some, and insomnia can actually go after the symptoms that people are most scared of. With Alzheimer's, so it would be huge if it works. It's a first that's been approved since 2003. I didn't realize that. 
Yeah, they say in the document uh, released by the FDA, uh, another reviewer raised questions about statistical methods, was not convinced of the evidence, and recommended another trial. Okay. Well, so, I don't know. I have to read more about that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope. So uh, I thought the headline in the New York Post about the Wall Street Journal story was better. Damning science shows COVID-19 likely engineered in lab. The headline in the Wall Street Journal, which is a more serious, uh, sober newspaper, the science suggests a Wuhan lab leak, and it was written by a Dr. Quay and Muller, highly respected uh, people in their field, who say, look, there's a certain way you manipulate these viruses for this gain-of-function research. If you're going to try to make a virus as bad as possible to try to study it, there's a certain way you manipulate it. This coronavirus was manipulated that way before it left the lab, or way early on. This has never happened in nature. That's basically their argument. This has never occurred in nature, that something developed this way on its own. Yeah, there are all sorts of ways viruses can mutate, and it has to do with looking into the very details of the genome. But there's one way you can mutate a virus artificially in a lab, which achieves the the more potent uh, thing that you're looking for to study. It has to do with, you know, the sequences of the genes, if you ever took genetics classes. But that sequence that's so easy and useful in labs that want to do this, it never occurs in nature. They've never observed it. So and, from, but it's in the, the COVID. From the Wall Street Journal article written by these two do- doctors, now the damning fact, it was the exact sequence that appears in COV2. Proponents of a zoonotic origin, that means it came from the bat market or whatever, proponents of that must explain why the novel coronavirus, when it mutated or recombined, happened to pick its least favorite combination. Why did it replicate the choice the lab's gain-of-function researchers would have made? Yes, it could have happened randomly through mutations, But do you believe that? At the minimum, this fact that the coronavirus, with all its random possibilities, took the rare and unnatural combination used by human researchers implies that the leading theory for the origin of the coronavirus must be laboratory escape. That should be the leading theory. Clearly. It's it's just so... Now, the, the blanks have been filled in. It's clear what happened. Researchers, who maybe for the best of motives... Uh, were engaged in this gain-of-function research with dangerous viruses, thinking they could keep it safe and, and learn something to help humanity. They failed, and it escaped. And then, they, knowing they un- had unleashed something that could kill millions of people, they covered their asses as quickly and as forcefully as they could. To me, the the uh, the, the investigation's over. How this is going to play out, I don't have any idea. But it's clearly what happened. You know, I, I've been digging into this enormous Vanity Fair piece that we referenced a couple of times uh, last week. And one part that we didn't get to, which is pretty closely related to what we were talking about, was that the idea of a lab leak first came to the National Security uh, Commission officials in this country, not from some hawkish Trumpists, but from Chinese uh, scientists. In January 2020, um they began getting uh, rumbles through intelligence circles. And then in February, a research paper co-authored by two Chinese scientists based at separate Wuhan universities appeared online as a preprint, a, a pre-release. It tackled a fundamental question. How did a novel bat coronavirus get to a major metropolis of 11 million people in central China in the dead of winter when most bats were hibernating and turn a, markets where, a market where bats weren't even sold into the epicenter of an outbreak. 
Now, you combine that with the scientific stuff from the journal that Jack was just talking about. I mean, it's an open and shut case, but... The paper written by these two Chinese academics offered an answer. Quote, we screened the area around the seafood market and identified two laboratories conducting research on bat coronavirus. The first was the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which sat just 280 meters from the market in question and has been known to collect hundreds of bat samples. The second was the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and the paper came to a staggeringly blunt conclusion about COVID-19. The killer coronavirus probably originated from a laboratory in Wuhan. Regulations may be taken to relocate these laboratories far away from the city center and other densely populated places. Almost as soon as the paper appeared on the internet, it disappeared. But not before U.S. government officials took note. Tucker has talked about that a lot. Um, how, how long have scientists known this, what is in the Wall Street Journal today? How long have they known that it seems like the sort of thing they've known for a long time. They've had to know for a long time. This story just couldn't get air? The fact yeah. that, hey, you know, uh, a virus that is a, uh, put together this way has never existed naturally, ever. So yeah. what are we talking about? Well, it ran into the hurricane of knee-jerk anti-Trump rhetoric in the media. Craig, uh, the Obamacare uh, lawyer, uh, happened to text us uh, an article from May of 2020 in Newsweek talking about the lab leak theory and all the reasons, scientific as well as circumstantial, it looked extremely likely. And that story got zero pickup. It got nothing but derision from most of American society, including the forces within the American government that were covering their asses. Because not only had they been in favor of -of gain-of-function research, which, again, may be a good idea, but they actually funded the places that let the COVID leak. So they were terrified. They panicked. They were protecting their own bureaucracy and their own heinies. And so engaged in the, the tsunami of, it can't be, it can't be. If you even ask that, it's a conspiracy theory. You're a QAnon. You're crazy. God, I wish we lived in a world where you could get any sort of bipartisan investigation of anything where you're actually interested in getting to the truth as opposed to damning Trump or protecting him or whatever. Armstrong and Getty.